0: Listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series, episode 51. Today, I have a very special episode where I'm talking to Dr. Michelle Chestovich, and she shares very valuable lessons that we need to know about how we are in danger. If we are not careful, overworking, self doubt, and just the general pressures of medicine can put us at risk. 400 physicians commit suicide every year. That's two medical school classes. Please enjoy this episode, but really, understand the significance of it. Dr. Chestovich is committed to making sure that we decrease these numbers and we support each other. Welcome surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. I have a very special guest today. She is tremendous. Her mission is tremendous. She has such valuable information we we really need to hear, especially as surgeons. This is Dr. Michelle Chestovich. She is a family practice physician. She is also a life coach, and she has created her mission in life to help us create sustainable lives, how how dangerous and, and life-threatening a lot of these paths that we on are and we don't even know it. So I'm so excited that she's here to talk about her mission and all the things, you know, her story and all the advice that she has to offer. So Dr. Chestovich, welcome to the boss podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I am so honored to be here. I really appreciate
0: being here. I mean, you have such a critical message, you know, I know that you became a life coach. So take us through when you decided to be that, what was it that you needed to see in the world that led you to a unique path beyond of what already was a calling?
1: Yes. Thank you. So, you know, I've been a family doc for 20 years and I have four children and I did you know, pretty much full spectrum OB, excuse me, full spectrum family medicine. I was delivering babies. I was on call for my patients 24 seven. And I was trying to balance life as a mother with four little kids and the practice that I loved. And I was really struggling. I mean, I was in and out of burnout several times and I did all of the things to take care of myself, exercise more, sleep better, you know, try to simplify my life. And all of those things helped a bit, but then I kept feeling like I was drowning again and just like overwhelmed. And then I started having thoughts like, I'm not doing a good job. I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good doctor. There were many nights that I would cry myself to sleep just thinking like I was failing, which, of course, we all know we have those thoughts and they're a lie. But when you really think them over and over again, you start to believe them. And then one day I was on my way to work. And it was after like the typical Chestovich Circus in the morning, trying to get four kids out the door. I'm getting my lunch. I'm running behind my coffee spills and I'm in the car driving to work. And I turned on a podcast that some friend had recommended. And I heard your thoughts create your feelings. And I tell you what, like, it's no joke. I was crossing the Mississippi River. The clouds parted, the sun beamed down. I was like, oh, my gosh. So I don't have to be overwhelmed all the ding dong time because my children are just cuckoo this is amazing. I don't have to feel horrible because my patients don't really want to take care of themselves. I was taking all of that on. And so seriously, it was just that one simple phrase that I thought, I want to learn more about this. And I started digging in. I'm like, I need a life coach. I need to learn about this. And after several weeks, I was feeling so much better, so much more in control of my life that I said to my husband, this might sound crazy, but I need to become a life coach because so many of my colleagues are struggling and they don't know this very simple fact, I can help so many people. I need to yell it from the rooftops. And so that's my like foray into life coaching,
0: and mine was actually very similar to you know, I entered through uh, with Katrina Ubell's podcast and then which led me to Brooke Castillo's podcast. And it was the same thing too, is that we we're all searching for a way to feel better and to do better and achieve all that we want to achieve. You know, so many physicians, we're so. Um, interested in helping other people. And we want to do this in ways that doesn't harm us. And we're just not sure how to do that. Now, we would listen to all the action line things that people would say, well, do this, do that, do that. But that is actually not the solution. And I felt the same way. It's like, once you find the solution, like this is the solution, figuring out what your thoughts are, figuring out how you feel, deciding how you could change this to, to feel better, That which then leads to the actions that work for you that may not work for me and, and vice versa. And once you have the solution that's going to work, then of course, this is why there's a call, um, a physician coaching revolution is that we all want to stand on top of the rooftop saying, this is the answer.
1: Yes, that's exactly it. And I love that you have a podcast to yell it from the rooftops. I too, like initially I was like, I need to yell this from the rooftops. I guess I could get a podcast going. So I did that. But again, I agree, Amy, it is, it is such a simple solution. But nobody told us about it. And how do we, high achievers, like driven, hardworking women, normally solve a problem? We get up earlier, we work harder. That's how we've made it to where we are. But I see so many people, and me included, who would try to do this to feel better. And it was just exhausting us further. (laughs) And so when you figure out the thoughts behind it all and how, you know, the emotions, like you talk about all the time, it's just so much simpler. And again, it's so scientific and just, I love it.
0: And of course, there's still that natural tendency. So you think, you know, as life coach, we've got it all figured out. All we have to do is like change all these things. Of course, you know, you can create any environment and turn it into a burnout course, which I know a a lot of times with life coaches saying like, now that I know the answer and everyone must know it, I feel compelled to now sacrifice myself to make sure everyone knows it. And therefore just recognizing you can burn out on anything.
1: Yes. And we were talking about this before we started recording that like, we love coaching so much and we're so passionate about it that we have to be mindful and careful because you could, I could just do it like all day long. Although my body does naturally shut down at night. I'm so passionate about it and you are as well, of course. And um, yeah, we need to start to set some boundaries and realize like, what is the sustainable path that you
0: mentioned early on? And here's the, the, both the, the blessing and the, the downfall of the mind work and stuff too, is that it never actually ends. <laughs> you still, nope, we're humans, we're humans with brains
1: on earth. And there are always going to be things that come our way that are going to throw us, you know, in a little tailspin, but I've learned for me that actually just understanding and allowing that nothing's gone wrong, mm-hmm. really that in and of itself is so reassuring. You know, we live in this society where it's like, oh, we're supposed to be happy all the time. And then we wonder, why, why am I feeling so bad? What's wrong with me? No, yeah. people, we're humans. There are days that are going to be harder than others. Even with coaching, there are days that are going to be harder than others. And that's
0: okay. Absolutely. And uh, we were just talking to uh, Sasha Shilkat about her brave boundaries. And, you know, she's talked about creating white space into our calendars, about all these things that come up, because the problem is, is that we could pack our days with all these things, assuming that we can now control everything that we have. And then here we are thrown off with something that adds a little bit to our already full pile that tips it over.
1: Yes. And one of my favorite lines is we are human. We are amazing, high achieving women. And yet we're human. And there are certain things that many of us think are optional, sleep, exercise, four letter word, rest, and they're not optional. And this is what I'm here to like shout from the rooftops that, you know, ladies, you are amazing and you need
0: to remember that you're
1: human and to care for yourself above and beyond.
0: Absolutely. And I think that, you know, because we're high achievers, because we're capable of so much, that we do pile on our plate and we do really, really fine until we don't. And I think that, you know, you already had this this secret and this mission and a different calling beyond medicine that you had, but I know that your life took a significant turn and you started learning some of these lessons yourself to where how we are all actually on a dangerous path if we're not careful, That that the... unsustainability leading to tragic outcomes could actually happen to any of us
1: that's correct and um i will share with your listeners so i never wanted to be an advocate for physician suicide awareness and yet a year and a half ago i lost my younger sister dr gretchen butler to suicide she was a young mama she had three young children and she was a breast radiologist at a level 1 trauma center And she, like all of you listeners, was a total badass. She could handle so much and with such finesse. She was, of course, the teacher of the year, you know, the resident teacher of the year. Everybody loved working with her. And we had no idea that she was struggling so tremendously. After she died, I found out that we lose nearly 400 physicians a year to suicide. And that women physicians are at two and a half times the risk. So while I was already doing this work to try to help women physicians feel better, I had no idea that my sister was struggling so tremendously. And so I feel my calling is to raise awareness because if it can happen to her, none of us are safe. And so, again, I just speak with such conviction that we are an at-risk profession And nobody is talking about it. And so I am the town crier to say, hey, you are an at risk profession. What are you doing to prevent suicide in yourself, in your colleagues, in your organization? Because we can't just keep strolling along thinking that everything is fine and, oh, that's horrible. That's a statistic. Like, you know, that's for other people. Because I'll tell you what. My sister did not know that this was coming. She was just a hard worker, a dedicated worker who just was exhausted. We can speak a little bit more about that, but she was exhausted, overwhelmed, and
0: her brain just said, enough. And if you wouldn't mind speaking of the circumstances that led up to this, because quite honestly, I recognized in her story, this could have happened to me. There's no question about it. You know, like every single event that, that you described or that you will describe um, has happened individually. And if these individual things that we all experienced happened at once, this could literally happen to any of us. And for the fact that you mentioned, you know, was it 400 a year? That's like a medical school class. I remember it's you mentioned like that. two medical, two, school, two medical classes. school classes. Yeah. So, the the amount that we lose, um, you know, of of people and humans that are really just trying to do the best, and I think that the the power of Gretchen is the fact that she is all of us, and and I think that you know I'll let you tell us a little bit more about the circumstances so we can all just recognize this is every day for us. And- yes, it is. And, and the more that I've shared her story,
1: the more women have reached out to me and said, "Oh my goodness." I've had very similar thoughts, me too. Right. And so I'll, I'll speak to it. And I, um, have a podcast episode about it. I don't know how I had the energy in the, I, I mean, somehow I was moved to do it, but a week after she died, I did an episode labeled exhaustion because I believe that sleep deprivation was one of the number one factors in her death. So the last time I spoke to my sister was three days before she died. It was on a Tuesday evening and she had just come off a call weekend. Again, she's a radiologist at a level one trauma center reading hundreds of scans, 17 hours in a row. So she is reading scans from six in the morning till about midnight, making life or death decisions. Does this, you know, critical injury go to the OR or not? And she was very dedicated um, and did an excellent job. The emergency room doctors as an aside, always loved it when they were on with Gretchen because they knew it was going to be a great shift because she was that awesome of a physician that she would immediately pick up the phone and call them. But I digress. So she was exhausted. She worked 17 hours in a row. She had an 18 month old who then would often, you know, like sense her wrapping up her, uh, day and would wake up and she would be spending time with him for a little bit. So she was literally getting a few hours of sleep because of course, You know, all of your listeners know that when you're coming off a very adrenaline-filled shift, you can't just fall asleep, take some time to unwind, you're caffeinating, all that sort of thing. So she got a few hours of sleep, repeated it the next day. So over the course of the weekend, she worked over 36 hours. And on Monday, she was overly tired and exhausted and couldn't sleep. And so she, like many other mamas who are home, like take care of business around the house, right? Make her family a meal, all of that. So I talked to her on Tuesday and she had just, you know, done another day of work. And she said, I am so sick, tired. I have a headache. I'm nauseous. I'm just, I'm so tired. I said, sweetie, you've had like six hours of sleep in the last three days. And I think you need to call in sick tomorrow. You really sound like you're struggling. I think you need to call in sick tomorrow. She said, I can't. We're short at work. And this is where I always like to pause. And I want everybody to think, how many times have we all said that? A bajillion. Especially now. Especially now, because we are short at work. But I just want to remind you, we too are human. That last time I spoke with her, she also was looking forward to spring break vacation that was coming up the following week. But she asked me this question because her youngest was 18 months old. And he's, you know, a challenging little tiger, right? He was squealing all the time. And she said, am I a horrible mom? If I leave him with grandma for a week, I just would feel so guilty leaving him for a week. I said, sweetie, a toddler does not want to go to the beach. Grandma will love it. Oliver will love it. You go and have a great time with your family, with your older children and your husband. She said, I just feel so guilty leaving him for a week. But here's what I'll tell you. Three days later, she left everybody forever. I used to think that having kids was protective from hurting ourselves. And it's just not true because when your brain gets so sick, there's nothing that can protect you. So we need to protect ourselves Again, I'm a primary care doc. I believe in prevention. We need to help people well before they're at that breaking point. And I think awareness that you're on this path is the first step. So again, her horrible scenario that week was that she was completely, she had acute on chronic sleep deprivation. She, her anxiety had been building over the last few months. We, this was in March of 2021. So we had just been vaccinated like a few weeks prior. I had just reached out to her, said, sweetie, I can't wait to take your kiddos for a weekend because like I'm vaccinated now. My husband's vaccinated. I think we can get together because we as a family, we're doing everything we could to stay safe. All of my siblings are in medicine and my parents are healthy, you know, in their mid seventies. But we were all afraid that if we got together that they might get COVID and that they could die. So we were a very close family, but we did the Zoom Thanksgiving, the Zoom Christmas. So she was more isolated not only from her family, but in her work as a radiologist, they were really, you know, having people work from home, working not in their normal kind of pods in the reading room. Because again, we were trying so hard to stay safe. So that isolation contributed just so many things, right? Her little one had special needs. So she was always very worried and stressed about him. So it was just like this horrible, imperfect storm. And, yeah, she's not the only one who has these risk factors in her life.
0: No, we all have these too. I mean, everyone had a sense of isolation. That alone may not be the only thing, but certainly contributes is that, you know, shame resilience is reaching out to trusted sources and talking kindly to yourself and, you know, owning stories so you can own the ending. And But there's only so much you can own. And, you know, without all these components of, of support and just like you mentioned, many of us have families and spouses and, you know, you add any family dynamics, whether that's too good where you want to be around or too hard to where they need special needs or too difficult the people that are dealing with divorce and, you know, custody battles and all the things, um, with sleep deprivation and then complications, which I was just talking to someone about this is that, you know, we have this idea that there's a certain number of complications they should see spaced out in times that, you know, of course, that's not what happens. They stack up on top of each other at a time when we're tired, at a time when we feel responsible for all these other things. And all of us have the potential within us to have that perfect storm. And I don't remember the exact statistic, but I know that sleep deprivation is like drinking and we would not, I, yeah. I know that
1: statistic. It's Mm -hmm. the CDC states that being awake for 24 hours is a blood alcohol equivalent of Mm 0.1, which is over the legal limit. And so it is dangerous. And so many people were working like, well, this is just how it is. And I have to just say like, you know what? You need to assess with yourself. Is this okay? Because again, as vocal as I've been with sharing my sister's story, I've literally had about a dozen women reach out and say, when I've been on nights or when I was in my surgical training, I almost took my life because I was so tired.
0: And I think that the more that we've talked about it, and you, of course, been a huge leader in us sharing a lot of these stories, um because there's, of course, a stigma of of mental health is that we're not supposed to talk about it because then you have to put it on your records and you have to put on every credentialing and 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 all these things. And so speak to us a little bit about how you see that changing a little bit in the landscape of medicine, yeah. Number one, we need to talk
1: about it. So again, just raising awareness, having, heard this story, have the conversation with your colleagues and say like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. Start talking about it. I talk about mental health. Yes. And I also just say, huh, maybe we docs want to talk about brain health. We wear red in the month of October for heart health, right? We women are, you know, anyway, at risk for cardiac disease. And yet we're trying to like, again, raise awareness about that. So like, why are we not talking about brain health? I'm an athlete. When I get injured, I'm talking to my friends like, who's the best physical therapist for this? Which What should I try now, <laughs> right? Because my body just keeps giving me opportunities to try new things to to feel better. But like, why are we not talking about our brain? Because again, there is a stigma and we need to stop the stigma. I talk about that all the time. Our brains run the show. It was like my sister had a brain aneurysm, right? Like she was going along fine. She was struggling, but managing. And then all of a sudden something snapped. Like a brain aneurysm. Mm -hmm. And so we need to talk about the fact that when our brains get too stressed, this can happen. And it really starts with just talking about it. And yes, there's a stigma, but everything I hear as people talking about solutions, I'm like, would this have helped my sister? Everything goes through that lens. She had reached out to me. So she went back to work. Of course, just after a few weeks after her little one was born, I'm like, you're going to take your full leave, right? You know, this was 18 months prior to her death. I said, you're going to take your full maternity leave, right? Oh, no, no, I can't. I can't. And he had bilateral cleft lip palate and he was going to need several surgeries that year. So she's like, well, I'm going to need time off for that. But she felt very much forced into doing that. Okay, fine. You do what you need to do, what you think you need to do. She went back to work after a few weeks and called me right away. Like After a week, she's like, I don't know if I can do this job anymore. I'm so afraid I'm going to make a mistake. I'm just so feeling just nervous all the time, just terrified that I'm going to make a mistake. And I said, sweetie, it sounds to me like postpartum anxiety. And I highly recommend that you see one of my partners who will take great care of you. So she saw my partner. She started on medication for anxiety. She started seeing a therapist. So she was doing that. So now, again, I don't know how she answered the questions on the licensing. And I'm proud to say that in Minnesota, about six months ago, we changed some of the wording in our you know Minnesota board application, but there's a lot more work to do. So we do need to reduce the stigma, but at the same point, just, you have to take care of you. You know, your brain is going to offer up all kinds of excuses why you can't. And you can, so you've got the boss coach here, like talk to her. She will help you figure out, realize that like, yes, while you feel like you're going to be such a loser and like, you can't do it. And like all of these, Objectives that your brain is going to give you are like not true, and your boss coach will help you figure that out.
0: Exactly, and and there's a, I mean, you actually said it yourself too, is that you know she was worried about missing some time at work and or with the family. But the thing is, is if we do not create a sustainable path, we're going to exit our career early. You now, whether that's obviously like exiting sooner from a choice or from that mental aneurysm, yeah, had a horrible about. tragedy, and again.
1: I mean, of course, with grief, I went through all the different emotions, right? It's not linear. I'll just tell you all. It's like putting all these horrible emotions in a blender and blending it up. But what I'll tell you is at one point I raged and I was so angry at Gretchen and I was like, God darn it. Why don't you just and again, I'm not sure that a day off of sleep would have solved the problem, but just overall changing that mindset of like, well, I have to do everything for everybody. But I would rage and say, like, you couldn't take one day off. You know what? They had to change the whole call schedule for the rest of the year. Like, now everybody's screwed for the rest of the year.
0: Right. And, you know, going back to, like, what what you and I talk about, too, which, which are the thoughts, you know, what were the troublesome thoughts? And, you know, when I think if we were to kind of try to mind read what her thoughts were, they're thoughts we all have. You know, if I don't do this, someone else will suffer you know, I have to do this. There's no other way that, you know, I'm trapped in here because this is just how it's always been. And, you know, these are thoughts I'm guessing that she had, and these are thoughts that we all have. Like, I want to stop. I need to stop, but I can't stop.
1: Yeah. It's that feeling trapped that I always, you know, my hackles raise a little bit, right? Like when people feel trapped, I'm like, okay, wait, we need to talk about this. You're never trapped, right? Because we become like caged animals. And then again, our brain starts to just spin in it. Like, I don't see a way out. It's never going to get better. I'm not any good at this. And we just start to swirl. And I just want all the listeners to know that you're never trapped. There is always a way. And sometimes you just need to help someone like find that
0: wiggle room of like, what could possibly be a way. Right. And And this also comes up too on on a much smaller scale too when people talk about changing their career, like I have to do all these cases, or I'm not a good surgeon. And, you know, I started asking myself some interesting questions of like, well, just how many colon surgeries do I have to have to feel good enough. And of course, when you put it in that phrase, it, it sounds ridiculous, of course, and then this idea of like, if I decided that I wanted to pare down my practice like next month, you know, would actually affect anyone and we think that it will and and this is either reassuring or not. People do move on. I saw yeah, this the they point. do. Yeah, they do move on. I saw this on deployments. This is interesting. If you're curious about the amount of time it takes for the the institution to forget you, it is two weeks, according to my email inbox, because on deployments, you can't respond. I talked with several of my colleagues about this. It's about two weeks that the emails for requests for information stop. That's about the amount of your life expectancy at work is two weeks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, which is like heartbreaking and reassuring because again, we are very important. But do you know what you're even who you're even more important for than your organization, the people in your life that love you. Exactly. And I think sometimes we, you know, do that second rate. Like we, if we ask people, like, what are your values? Most of us say like, oh, my family. Of course, my family. Mm-hmm. But like, let's take a look at where you're putting your time and effort and energy. And is it aligning with your values? Now, I get it. Like we have jobs and careers and like that takes, you know, a fair amount of time. And yet- there are small decisions that we make all the time, and I think sometimes to run it through that like value checklist can be helpful. I was
0: going to ask you that the next step is obviously okay. Now you know we've created this compelling um, argument to say that we're all at risk for this because it's absolutely true. There's it's unquestionably true. So where do you take the person who comes in front of you and says, you know, I don't know where to go now? Where would yeah. you tell them to go? Well, I
1: just number one say okay. This is nothing's gone wrong that you're feeling this way. We've been socialized as women and particularly women in medicine to like do everything to perform, to like go above and beyond to prove ourselves. So like that just makes sense. We often feel guilty taking time for ourselves, So we unravel that a little bit and just say like, okay, if you want to live this amazing long life and career as a physician, and if you're a mother as a mother, like what's that going to look like on this current trajectory And how can we make just some subtle tweaks and pivots to start, again, more realigning with what your values are? If people are saying that they're miserable, that they're overwhelmed, that they're always feeling guilty, never enough, which is something that I deal with all the time, and I'm sure you do too. I help them remember that, yes, there's like a baseline, but like enough is a decision. Mm Mm-hmm. And I thought about that when you were mentioning, you know, how many surgeries, like, of course, there's a point that you need to have like competency and so on and so forth. But we, again, high achieving women think we always need to do more and more. And the goal just keeps getting further away. And so when we just decide like it's enough and start to build belief in that, that's where I think things can really start to change. And it doesn't happen overnight that people are like, oh, I'm enough. I'm, you know. But it's just starting to explore, like, is it the guilt that's holding you back? Is it trying to prove yourself? So many of us think we need to prove ourselves. We believe that our we have this false belief that our productivity equals our worth. Mm-hmm. Again, we started when we were little. We did really well in school. We got the gold stars. The teachers asked us to help them. And that felt really, really good. So we like collected all this beautiful external validation that we were like amazing little humans, which, of course, we were. But now as adults in our profession, as um, physicians, we I feel like we continually try to, you know, get that external validation. And even it. when we're getting it, sometimes we don't believe it. Again, my sister, she got all the awards. Everybody loved her. She was the best. And I'm imagining that inside she didn't believe it. And in fact, she used to always say to me, like,
0: I have imposter syndrome, right? So... <laughs> It goes down to the idea that we don't know what people are thinking. You know, we know what we're thinking, um, or at least we try to know what we're thinking. A lot of times we don't. It's getting down to that thought because a lot of us don't realize that the reason that we're getting up and the actions that we're doing come from this idea that we're not enough. Yes. Um, and so I always try to, to advise people to try to answer that question. First, hear the question in the first place is like, like this isn't enough. And like, what if you answer that and say, this is enough?
1: Or yeah, And what is enough? I isn't. love asking people that. What is enough?
0: When are you going to feel
1: satisfied as a mother that you've done a great job today? Mm-hmm. Like if you've read 10 books to your child, if you made a homemade meal and read five books, like what's the answer for most of us? We're like, yeah, I don't really know. Yeah. When are you going to be enough as a physician when every single patient gives you a five-star rating? Like, okay, well that's probably never going to happen. So how about we come up
0: with some <laughs> other metrics? I agree. And I think that I a hundred percent agree with it. It's a decision. We decide this is enough. And then the the measure of success and the ability to really truly believe that's enough is our ability to manage the negative emotions that come up because they will yeah. The overwhelmed, the uncertainty, the um, inadequacy, all of those feelings are going to come up and it's recognizing that we can expect them that they, they don't actually have to make us do anything. We could just sit with them and say, well, isn't that interesting? I feel like yeah. not enough. I wonder what- Here I is am feeling
1: again. inadequate again. Oh, hello, old friend.
0: Exactly. Like, of course I'm going to feel inadequate because no one has decided how much is enough. So maybe I just have to figure out how much is enough.
1: Yeah. And my brain just is swirling in this little, you know- spin cycle of yeah inadequacy. And again, I always then tell people like, yeah, we can allow it and then give ourselves compassion. Like, oh yeah, this is part of being human feeling this way. Like nothing's gone wrong. It's not really true. And again, I'm sure you talk to your listeners about this all the time, just because we have a thought and it feels really true. Doesn't mean that it is. It just means we've thought it again and again. So it's no wonder that we've got these very well worn, you know, myelinated paths to certain emotions that make
0: us feel horrible. Exactly. And I think that, you know, this kind of transitions a little bit into the idea of coaching, you'd have to be living on a rock not to see it now, because there's now hundreds of physician coaches. And I think it comes from the absolute sincerity of those of us who have heard it, feel a calling, and, you know, leaders create more leaders. And this is why we have this coaching revolution. And Yes. Thank goodness. I am so grateful. When I became
1: certified three years ago, you know, I knew of like a dozen or two other physician coaches and now there are hundreds. And this is such good news because every physician deserves a coach and we're learning more and more. So like anecdotally, I knew it helped me. I know it helps my clients feel so much better, but now we've got proof, right? Like we, you know, um, scientists, physician folks like to see You know, the proof in the research, right? And so now we've got JAMA articles. Again, I'm sure you've shared this with your or randomized control
0: trials that say that this is a a true path towards reducing burnout. And the Cleveland Clinic article that talks about how this actually, you know, saves money for systems. And so
1: $130 million they saved last year. Their article, I think, came out in September. right? Right. So it's working and it's proven to work and it's beneficial for the physicians. And the institutions. And so, again, when I go around and speak and share my story and share my sister's story and let us know that we're all at risk, I also then say, like, hey, let's stop talking about burnout and do something about it. I've been on a lot of wellness committees over the years and in various institutions. And I can't tell you how many times we talk about something. We come back a month later and we talk about something else. And I, at this point, I just want to stop my foot and say, okay, we have a proven solution for burnout. So let's get after it. I really believe that in a few years, I hope and pray and I'm doing work. And so my colleagues are as well, that it's going to be unconscionable for organizations to not offer coaching for all of their staff. I long to see the day where they say, welcome to our organization. Here's your badge. Here's your parking card. And here is your coach that you're going to be or therapist that you'll be dealing or working with, you know, every other week or something like that. Because not only do we have all these struggles and imposter syndrome and inadequacy that we have as humans, but in medicine, I think we often forget we deal with trauma <laughs> and whoever helps us learn how to process the trauma,
0: nobody. I completely agree because we all are products of our environment. And, you know, especially with surgical training, you know, been particularly Um, I don't think that we really recognize it as a trauma, but you certainly see the trauma responses. You know, I see the people who are very suspicious of bringing anything up because everything is suspect. Um, And there's, it's just built on the fact that, you know, when we've been harmed along the way that, you know, we could create this defensive mode that this is how we're interacting with the world is that we had to find a way to defend ourselves to protect ourselves, And, you know, finding a way to be safe in our workplace, you know, mentally safe, but being able to interact with others of the ability to be wrong and the ability to, um, you know, really find worth in yourself. And All those things are things that we were not really taught how to do. So we've been at the mercy of someone else telling us these things. And I think for me, because I was gonna ask you this question, but I'll answer it first. Uh, For me, I think what coaching does is provides us the ability to be our own compass, to to be able to determine what we think is correct and not, and to be able to interact in the world with people who are also maybe under um, these defensive modes and find ways to influence them by us feeling reassured and channeling the the emotions that I find most useful of certainty, especially as a surgeon, you don't have to know the right answers, but you have to be certain about what you have to offer. And you know curiosity and gratitude. I think those three things will like get me through any situation. And finding ways that when I embrace these, then I acted ways. That offer to other people so that they can actually start uh, working ways that make them feel safe. And this is how we create this sort of exponential safety in the workplace.
1: I think that's absolutely beautiful. I agree that I think um, coaching, I always say, like, it's an inside job to feel better. So many of us look externally for either validation or like the perfect day, you know, the perfect patients, the perfect surgeries, the perfect family situation in order to feel good. And I'm telling you what, those stars don't often align. They sometimes do when you get lucky and you feel real good. But coaching provides you the tools to fan that internal flame and make your own internal strength so much better. So with certainty, right? And just being able to know, hey, I can handle no matter what. And even if I don't know exactly what to do, I know who to call, right? And so I agree that that's like my favorite thing. I give people the tools to be confident that no matter what the situation in their life, they've got it and they can feel good about it. And then that strength and confidence ripples out and we accept the people in our life because we don't have to get defensive when a patient gets upset about something. We can just meet them and have acceptance that they're a human and they're struggling. And it just, we feel calmer. Our energy ripples out to them. They feel calmer because we're not getting defensive and like, you know, in attack mode, we don't mean to do that as physicians, but sometimes we get that way and our patients feel that energy. So it's just such a simpler, I don't mean to use the word simple, but just like a calmer, more clarity, rounded way to go through life. Like we, and the more we do the work, the more I talk about like the roots of our tree and our strength are stronger. And so we don't get swayed so much by what's going on around us. Like, right. If we have real shallow roots, like I think I'm okay. I think I'm enough. I think I'm an okay surgeon. Um, when people say things around us or events happen, mistakes happen because, of course, they do. That we really feel like we're swaying, and the stronger our roots. As a weird analogy that I'm using, but it works for me right now today. No, that actually does because yeah, then we're not so swayed. We just stand tall, knowing that yep, mistakes happen, and this is expected, and this is how we're going to move forward. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad surgeon. It means that these things happen. I see that as a
0: tree waiting for a strong wind to take them out. Yes. knows medicine is full of strong winds. Yes, there sure are a lot of strong (laughs) winds every day. Because everyone's curious about a coach now because I see them everywhere. You know, what would you advise someone on how to find a coach for them? Yeah, I really
1: believe in like what feels right. So, I mean, you know, kind of intuition, you know, if your listeners are listening to you and they resonate with you because you're a surgeon, they're surgeons, I mean, yeah, look into working together. That's that's sort of how I do it because here's what I'll tell you. Your brain's going to tell you, because again, we're physicians and we've trained ourselves to get the straight A's, that there's a right answer and a wrong answer. Black or white thinkers, that's not the case with coaching. If someone resonates with you, they're going to be able to help you, is my philosophy. Now, obviously, if you get started with someone, you're like, wow, this is not working out. Obviously, get the heck out of there. But like, listen to your gut. And that's what I would say is that there are tons of coaches. And they're all amazing. All the coaches I know are amazing. And I would recommend pretty much anybody that I know, you know, trained where I went, which is the same as you. Uh, And yeah, I, I don't think that there's a right coach. But I would just say like, if you're in a sphere and you're listening to what someone is saying and it resonates with you and you're curious about learning more take that next step
0: i completely agree and i think you know as a coach too like who i want to find me is i want someone to find me who is interested and curious and committed and my message resonates with them because those are the people that i'm going to help you know, I don't need to coach everybody on the planet and be sort of unproductive to do so anyway. But the people that have found me that I'm now starting to realize is these are the people that I could help them. And so I think listening to the message that people are sending, because, you know, when it resonates with you, this is the person who is going to help you. This is a person who understands. And I also agree the life coach school, I don't think that we put out bad coaches. So no,
1: we really, really don't. So it's just finding someone that you, you know, kind of Jive with is that a word that we use anymore? But totally. you know, just in order to, like look at you and say, like, wow, you're a beautiful example. I want some of that, right? right. So I coach, you know, all kinds of different professionals, but um, I mean physicians, but all the different specialties. But like, I think a lot of people come to me because they're like, Oh, she is a mom of four kids and she's a physician. She knows all of those things. And so for some people that's really resonant for them. Right. And for you, I'm sure, you know, surgeons, you're, you're an amazing, unique breed, right? There are certain struggles that like you go through that, like some people want to make sure that you understand exactly.
0: Right. And the key though, is really, um, the internal thoughts that we have, So a, you know, any good coach is going to be able to pull out your thoughts and not tell you what to do. This is not advice. This is not like a basketball coach. I mean, we're not going to tell you how to shoot, but that's correct. They do offer some mindset things as well, but really it's like, what are, what are the things that are going to uniquely serve you? What are the thoughts that are troubling you? Because that's going to be different for everyone, which means that the solution is within us. And so, you know, finding ways to find these problems that we have finding solutions and is definitely the way to go. I agree 100%. And
1: if anybody out there is, again, curious about it, like, why not try? Because if what you're doing isn't working, continually doing it that way, but just trying a little harder is just going to make you exhausted. So again, coaching is evidence-based solution for burnout and the struggles that so many of us have in medicine. I highly recommend giving it a try. Your life will be forever changed for the better.
0: Well. You know I'm a fan, and I think that anyone who, you know, obviously has heard your message now and resonates with you, where can they find you? I have a website,
1: www.mamadoclifecoach.com. I'm also on Instagram, mamadoclifecoach, and I have a podcast. So, like, you're listening to the Boss Podcast. That's pretty amazing and awesome. But if you want little 10-minute pearls every week,
0: I have a podcast called Remind Yourself. I am completely advocate for that podcast too. I mean, and obviously for you, you have so much to offer everyone, and so we'll make sure that that they have ways to connect with you as well. So, Doctor Chestovich, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this. Your important message. Um, I'm sure that's going to resonate with a lot of us, especially don't realize that we need to be paying attention to this because we are literally all at risk. Uh, so, yes. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your your mission with us, and uh, you know, we'll continue to elevate your mission as well.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you amplifying the message and to all
0: you amazing surgeons out there, please take care of you. For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bossurgery.com.